Amen. Thank you. You know, our worship team today has comprised a lot of, of our youth, which is so encouraging, isn't it? Because you think, ah, oh, this thing is hanging in there. Like, there's young people praising God and singing of His glory. Isn't that great to see? Hi, I'm Pastor Simon, and we are here in a series, and we've been looking at the Christ hymn that is in Colossians chapter 1. It's one of the hidden hymns that are in the New Testament, and maybe this is new for you. It was kind of new for me this year, that in the writing of the New Testament letters, okay, there are these sections of Scripture. There are about five to seven of them that stand out because of their, they're written in sort of a, a poet, poetic rhythm, uh, maybe even in a song. And so what we've discovered is that there are hidden hymns that are embedded into the New Testament that when you look at them as that, you're like, oh, it, op- it opens them up to so much greater understanding and beauty. And so the one we've been spending time in is in Colossians chapter 1. Uh, it's verses 15 to 20. If you've ever read Colossians, it's wonderful, right? But then you get to 15 and 20, you're like, wow, that is, that's exceptional beauty. Now, we don't know the rhythm of these, these hymns. We don't know if they were sung. We don't know if they were poems or, or spoken word. But they're, they're beautiful, and so what I want us to do is share that today. If you please stand, we're going to have a shared reading this morning from the book of Colossians, chapter 1, verses 15 to 20. And I'd like us to read it together as we say, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn in all creation. For in Him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through him and for him. He himself before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him... All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you. Let me pray for us as we spend time considering this beautiful passage. Father, I thank you, first of all. I thank you for the inspiration of of the authors of these that were guided by the Holy Spirit to to craft these beautiful words. And was it Paul himself? Did he he write it and embed it in the letter? Or was it pre-existing as it seems to be something? Lord, I pray that either way we would have a fresh look at it today. That maybe as the first uh, readers of it back in the days of Colossians read it with such zeal and excitement and gathered around it as authoritative, would we do the same? Lord, I pray that today that we would have a revelation, a new vision of the great gift of joy presented to us in Christ Jesus. That's a bold prayer, Father. So I ask you to start with me and connect out to my brothers and sisters who are gathered here together. In your name we pray. Amen. So our series is called The Christ Hymn, Untangled, Untangled, because as you notice, we're reading it, it's beautiful words, but there's a lot, there's some overlays of thought and concept. And so looking at the beauty of this passage, it it takes some time to kind of pull it apart a little bit. 
start to do that, you see, gosh, it's really gorgeous, right? And so that's the reason that we represent uh, the Christ him untangled as we, you know, kind of decorated the church with these kind of tangled lights because there's such beauty in this ball, in this poetic ball that we've been given. And we're just going to take time these next couple weeks and pull it apart a little bit and consider how, how insightful it is. Uh, and it actually it gives us a look back too, because then we get a picture of what believers early in the first century thought of Jesus. And I think that helps us because we go back to like the original witnesses, the original sources, and what got them on fire. And that'll help us stay fresh as we walk through our Advent season in anticipation of the gift of Jesus one more time. Now, again, is the Christ hymn something that Paul wrote to the Colossian church? Was it in circulation already and he was citing it and helping them understand their faith better? It, it seems to be the latter. A, a really great book that I, that I love, it's one of my, my favorite kind of commentaries, is, is Jesus and the Gospels, uh, author is Craig, uh, Craig Blomberg. But referring to these, these, the Christ hymn and other passages like that, he said this, we have evidence in these passages for what Christians confessed about Jesus at a very early age. Again, he's saying that these passages like the Christ hymn are probably things that were in circulation in the church at the time, okay? And so when we read them, as Paul recited them to them, he was saying, this is what, you know, the community of faith is gathered around in the first century. This is who they thought Jesus was. Now, it's interesting, and, and he says, remarkably, these passages include some of the highest sense of who Christ is, highest Christology, and they use the most lofty and exalted statements about the person and the work of Christ, and it's, it's among, and it stands out from all the rest of the New Testament writings about Jesus. So in other words, when we look at the Christ hymn, it's like we're looking back and interviewing people that were of first century believers that were on fire for Christ and what they understood their faith was, and then we can connect to that fresh even in our day. And so this is why it's really exciting for us to explore we're getting a look back at what they were excited at in the past. And what he's saying is they seem to have known about Christ as being even more than a Savior or a Messiah. For them, and we're going to see in the text today, he was an agent of creation and even the sustainer of all reality, sustainer of all things. One of the, the, the descriptions in the in the passage you read, is that he is uh, firstborn over all creation. And what we're going to do is we're going to learn from this, and hopefully it'll inspire us to, to really dive in and receive a fresh sense of joy in our Advent preparations. And so we're going to look at this passage. Now, um, when you think about getting ready for the holidays, um, I don't know how many of you are done decorating your, your houses and your, your, your... Are you done? Good for you, a couple of you. Still working on it. We're still working on it. In fact, uh, yesterday, uh, Harvey and I, we, we finally got out the, the ball of lights. It was kind of funny because we thought we put them away really neatly last year. We pulled them off the house, but we pulled out the box and it had been sitting in this ball. I'm like, okay, we'll get to it on the weekend. Finally, he's like, can we put the Christmas lights up today? I said, okay. So first thing we did is we pulled the big ball of lights. These are the ones that go on the outside of the house. And it was funny because we were sitting on the front lawn. He's like, well, we got to untangle these things. I said, yeah. He goes, hey, it's kind of like your sermon series. I'm like, it is actually, right? 
So we start untangling the lights, and they're, you know, they got the clips on them, which made it extra hard to kind of untangle. And then we pull out the ladder, and 24-foot ladder, and, and he's the brave one. He goes up to the top, and he's putting him on the roof, because, you know, if he gets hurt, it's a lot cheaper than if I do. So, <laughs> but we got them all plugged in. Uh, not yet. We actually have to go home later today and have to figure out, like, some of them are on, some of them are not on. So I'm not done. I probably won't be done until uh, Christmas Eve. So today, though, we got to plug them into like a source because there's lots of indoor lights, outdoor lights, and how does it all coordinate? How can I get them to turn on basically at the same time and turn off basically at the same time? And there's a lot of ways you can do that. You got to plug them into some kind of a source or a controller. And I don't know if any of you here are one of those people that have the radio station at your house and like the super fancy lights, but that's one way to do it. You get an app or a program or a whole system in your house, and you end up with something like this, a lightorama. And for some of us, that's Christmas. Like, we will for sure get in the van and seek out houses like this and be amazed and slightly annoyed. The Lightorama. And your house could look like that. How many of your houses look like that? Anybody? Nobody's confessing to have a house that looks like that. Okay, so I can't do it. I can't. As for me and my house, we're just going to use a simple little controller. It's the kind with a little dial on it that you, know, you clack the time and then you put the peg in there, the green and the red. As for me and my house, that's all we're going to do. Hopefully that'll coordinate everything. My, my point on that is that in the, in the jumble of Christmas lights, and for us, again, there's some indoor lights, there's some outdoor lights, there's some go around the house, some go around the banister, the Christmas tree itself. Like, it, you have to plug them into some common source. And you have to have them connect to some kind of common controller so that they can exist together in some harmony, right? So we have to plug them into some kind of common source and a controller in order for them to work together, okay? And, and that's what's clear about the early church and what they understood, who Christ is. He's where it all plugs in. He's the source, and he is the controller. This is a passage we read earlier, and it's, it's verse 17, if you're keeping track. And just these words alone, I have found so comforting as I've been meditating on, meditating on them the last couple of weeks. Listen to this. He himself, Christ, is before all things. And in him, Christ, all things hold together. He's the source and he's the controller. He's the creator and the sustainer. He himself, Christ, is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. Now, this passage is profound on its own. We're going to look at it a little more today and see how we can, we can apply this to our lives. But, but first of all, it's, it's profoundly theological, like about God, right? Because it, it seems to imply that Christ is before all things. In other words, he's the, he's the what or the, the who that is the, the first cause of all creation. It means he is before all things in terms of time. That before there was anything, he was. Christ was. Before anything is, he was. He's first. So theologically, again, they're saying that Christ pre-existed anything else, all of creation, okay? And then he's also the agent or the cause of creation. It also implies that he himself is before all things, that he's in priority over all things. 
that everything submits to him, everything is second to him, or third, or fourth, or infinite less. So he is theologically before all things in terms of time, and theologically Christ is before all things in terms of priority. He is the before. He is the source, and he is the sustainer. He comes before all things. That's who they understood Christ to be. It's also uh, gives us an illusion of the, the universal. I mean, these are people that also could go outside and, and dark nights and observe the stars. And, and for them, Christ became before all things. He was himself there before all things. And they, they meant that in terms of the great heavens that stretch out before us. And what is it that's holding those things together? What is it that causes the rhythms to the seasons and the planets, and the, which they could see just as much as we can? Maybe we can do it better now because we have you know, technology. But there's still an order to the universe that they were crediting, not from just natural process, but from Christ, who himself is before all things. And in him, all things hold together universally. They also saw this in a micro sense. Now again, with our advancing technology, we continue to plumb new, uh, new realities of, of, of what we are and the world we live in. But even today, they still look at the atomic structure like, what is it that's holding all that together? And in, in the idea here, it's Christ. He's the one that created it. He comes before all things. And in him, all things hold together. He is the strong force that is keeping the universe in balance. That's who Christ is there. So it's profoundly theological, it's profoundly universal, and it's also profoundly personal. Because our source and our controller, our creator and our sustainer, is not just out there in the vapor somewhere unknowable. In the Christian faith, the creator and sustainer comes here and dwells among us. Not out there somewhere saying, good luck, but he, he is with us. He walked among us. He taught for us. He lived for us. He died for us. He was raised for us to know that he is there. He himself, Christ, is before all things, and in him all things hold together. That's who they knew Christ to be. Is that true, though? Is that true? Is that true that that's who Christ is? Now, I have made the argument myself before I came to faith, and I've heard it many times since then. Did Jesus really think of all that stuff about himself? Did he ever really say that, hey, I, before the universe was here, I was here, and I'm the one that's holding it all together. Don't worry, I got it. Again, we talked last week, you can review that uh, sermon from last week, and Jesus was on a mission here, and it wasn't self-glory, okay? But yes, actually, if you look at the scriptures and what he said, it is seeming to be the person that he said he is. He is the creator, sustainer. He's the source and the controller. Now, is this true? Is this true for everyone or just those who have faith? Like, do we, are we really saying that Christ is before all things for people who believe that? Or are we saying that Christ is before all things and he holds all things together for everyone, even if they were born somewhere where they've never heard of him? Is he still the one which we're longing for, that which makes everything make sense? And the answer will kind of be surprising to you. When it says, is he holding all things together? Does that mean all things like everything, like even these plants? Or just the things that we bring underneath him, asking him to hold things together? 
Again, we're going to explore that answer in just a moment. We live in a world, though, that's, that's not much different than the first century. Uh, Joy talked about that a couple weeks ago. Lars mentioned it as well. You know, we tend to think, oh, we're so advanced, you know. But actually, the way that we're thinking these days is very similar to the way they taught in the, the way they thought in the first century. And, and back then, people would kind of default to living in their own little reality, and, and that's the way they understood things. Like, they're kind of the king of their own little universe, and it's the reality of their choosing, and it's mostly shaped by, by chance, how you were born, where you are born, and choice. If I do good things, I get good things. If I do bad things, bad things happen to me. Ancient people, even sort of like today, wanted to get some favor in their lives, and so they would have faith. They would adopt some form of religion, and normally it'd be the religion or faith that, of the area they were set in. And they would take on the local god or gods and bring them into their reality, their world, hoping to get some favor. Because if there are god or gods out there somewhere, by praying to them or offering sacrifice to them or giving them some time or money, then maybe they would bless me and make my life better or help me when I'm in trouble. That's how ancient people thought, and I, I think that's a lot how we are today. It's, it's the reason that Paul went into the Areopagus and he's looked at a crowd of people who are mostly philosophers and big thinkers, and he goes, you know, I see you are religious in many ways. Because we all want favor from something, and so what we do is kind of adopt the local God and say, okay, when you come into my reality with some influence and, and maybe give me some favor. Back then, it was mostly about having a big family and big crops or success in your businesses, okay? But I don't really need you for much else. Just give me some favor. You've got a little power or pull out there. How about you give me and my family some favor? And to be honest, sometimes that works, and sometimes it doesn't work. It's fairly unpredictable. But is that how it works in the Christian faith? No, not at all, says Paul. Actually, that is not at all how it works, that we live in our own reality, and then we bring a little bit of this Christ in to kind of give us some favor or influence in, in some higher powers. That is not at all how it works in the Christian faith. See, through the Christ hymn, he was reminding them and reminding us of the bigger story that we find ourselves in, that, that Christ is not one of the gods or even a god of the gods, he is the creator of all things and the sustainer of all things. And everything in creation is subject to him. He himself is before all things. And in him all things hold together. That includes all the blessings that we seek. And even in our hardest, worst days, all things work together for the glory of God, for those who are called according to his purposes. So let me ask you, who holds your reality together? What is holding your reality together? What is your creator? What is your first cause? Where do you go when you think that's where it all begins? Or where do you go? What do you think is, is sustaining everything or holding all things together? Where do you go for control or for, for authority. Now, if you're like, well, I don't know if that's even knowable, you know? That would make you trending towards agnosticism, just saying, well, I don't know if I know. I don't know if anybody can really know, okay? Um, maybe your one is like, well, 
I'm, I'm pretty sure it's some kind of power or some kind of a natural cause, some you know, kind of chance, bang, boom, then that would trend you towards atheism. There's not a personal, personal you know, God behind that. If you're like, well, I, I think it's probably a, a God, but I don't know if it's you know, God of the Bible. It's probably just more of a bigger sense of God. Well, that would make you a theist, but not necessarily a you know, Christian. Maybe your place of, of purpose and, and power is you yourself. Your best efforts, your, uh, your wit and your wisdom, your uh, education, your background, your investments, uh, your opportunities. But if, if your source and your sustainer is a God who is in Trinity, a Father who created all things through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit, and you trust that all things are created for Him and in Him, then you have begun to live in a distinctly Christian worldview. If your creator and your sustainer is a God in Trinity who created all things in his Son by the power of the Holy Spirit, then you're starting to build a distinctly Christian worldview. And I've considered them all. And I'll tell you what, this one's right, and it's wonderful. Because he himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And when we receive that, the world starts to make sense. We start to know who we are. We start to be able to rejoice in the daily because this is the day that the Lord has made and we can put on a fresh joy, rejoice, and be glad in it. Best days of your life, worst days of your life because we trust that in him all things hold together. If we know Christ is before all things, then we can trust that in him all things will hold together. Um, another thing that, uh, that Harvey did yesterday is, you know, we have a calendar on our, on our wall and it has, you know, every day you, you count down to Christmas. Anybody have one of those? We have certain present days in there that come up uh, every so often. And yesterday was a present day and so we got a little box of Legos and I walked downstairs in the morning and to a moment where he was like kind of frustrated. I was like, oh, this isn't working. Like, what is it? He's like, these Legos, they don't fit together. This won't fit on the... T-. I'm like, well, I'm pretty sure it'll fit together somehow. I mean, they're Legos, you know. They're made by those Danish people, and they know what they're doing, you know. And he's like, no, this doesn't work. And I said, well, you know how if any of you Lego people, you got to back up, take the parts apart, go back a few pages, and start over. It should, it should work. But I was confident it's going to work because, look, I, I've ra- you know, walked with a couple of master Lego builders in their lives. Every Lego pack works. They, don't, they wouldn't distribute a pack of, of, of thousands across the world with, with bad directions and, and false you know, pieces in there. It's going to work. I know it is. And came back a little while later. He's like, no, it works. Now I got it. I got it. I got it. I had 100% confidence in the Lego people that this set is going to fit together, and it, and it does. That's how God wants us to trust in him. That I know he built it. I know that he gave it to us. I know that Christ himself is for all things, and in him all things hold together. This is going to work out. Whatever the conflict is you're dealing with, I know it's going to work out because I know he's there before all things, and I can trust him that all things hold together. But we live in a world that often seems like it's breaking down. 
don't we? We live in a world that always seems like it's just fighting against decay and breakdown. And there's a part of that that's true. This is the theory of entropy, entropy, that basically, given enough time and natural process, everything is going to break down and just basically decay. And, and again, it's true. People do age. Our bodies start to break down. Uh, you know, our, our houses break down if we don't care for them. You know, creation itself, it will wear out faster. Our bodies will wear out faster if we don't care for them. So there is something to this idea that things are kind of falling apart or breaking down. But you see, that's what's amazing, is that into this dying world, we're told, hey, you are, of the, you are in this world, this dying world, but you are no longer of this dying world because of Christ. Now, how do we know that we're living in a dying world? How do we know that the, the reality that we're living out of is one of entropy, one of decay? It's because we might say things like, I feel like I'm losing it. Do you hear that? The entropy in that? I just feel like I'm losing my mind. I feel like I'm falling apart. I'm worried that my, my marriage is falling apart. I feel like my, my heart is breaking. I feel like my family may be drifting away. I'm scared. I'm scared for the future. Scared for the future of my country. I'm scared for the future of our world. I'm worried our planet is dying. I'm worried my health is, is failing. We live in entropy. We might naturally and repeatedly say things like, I just I don't know how much more of this I can take. Because it just feels like things are always breaking down. Do you say things like this? Do thoughts like this come into your head regularly? I feel like things are falling apart. I feel like things are breaking. I don't know how long I can hold things together. You see, friends, into a world that is cursed with entropy, into a dying world, into a broken heart, Christ comes. And he was heralded by an angel who declared from the very heavens, he said, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy that is for all the people. For unto you, born this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ our Lord. See, because in our story, our creator, our sustainer, our source and control, he's not just out there somewhere. He steps down into a dying world and brings a new message of life. In this story, Christ is always before all things, and in him, all things hold together. So back to the big question. Is it true? Is it true? Is it true for you? Is it true for everyone? Is it true for all things? Or is it true just for the things that you bring underneath them? And the answer is, in both cases, yes, both. He is 
before all things, and in him all things will hold together. But it's true, yes, that we have to bear those things before him and say, Lord, will you be first in my life? Will you take this mess in my mind or my heart or my family or my marriage or our world or our nation? Will you take it and will you bring things back together in you? Have you accepted Christ as your creator and your sustainer? Have you accepted him as your source of life? Have you given full control over him, knowing that in him all things hold together? Have you let him fill you with a fresh joy in this Advent season? So now as we head to communion, this is a great time to be reminded that this is a day the Lord has made. And let us rejoice then and be glad in it. This is a great time to reconnect with Christ as your Lord, your creator, and your sustainer, the source of your life, and the controller. This is a great time to say, Christ is before all things, and in him all the things hold together. May it be true today and forever for those who put their trust in him, believe, and follow. Now, as we prepare our hearts to receive of the communion, I have a confession prayer that I would love for us to pray together that has been speaking to me as I present it to you. Let us pray together saying, we praise you, O God, and we claim you as Lord. With all the powers seen and unseen, we declare the fullness of your majesty in all that is and what will be. With all the church on earth and in heaven, we worship you ever-living Father, ever-living Son, ever-present Spirit. Deal with us according to your mercy, not according to our merit. Lead us in your wisdom. Help us in our weakness. Cleanse us by your blood. Renew us in your body. Include us as your own. Let us always and everywhere trust in you, Christ Jesus, our source and our sustainer. Amen. Today we have the privilege of participating in the Lord's table together.